Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside the Studio on iHeartRadio. My name's Jordan Runtog, but enough about me. My guest today is one of my favorite contemporary songwriters. In February, she released her new album, Little Oblivions, a stunning work of emotional bravery inspired in large part by a crisis of faith. The songs chronicle her difficult last few years as she relapsed into substance abuse and began to reconsider her devout Christian beliefs. Both her sobriety and her religion formed crucial pillars of her personal and public identity, serving as themes for past songs and frequent topics of interviews. Now her relationship to both was radically shifting, leading to a period of self-reflection and reevaluation. She canceled a tour in 2019 and returned to her home in Nashville, where she reset. She finished out her undergraduate degree at Middle Tennessee State and for a time briefly wondered whether she'd ever return to her former life as a musician. Thankfully, she did, and the result is her most compelling work to date. Musically, she expands on her acoustic past with a full band sound, playing nearly all of the instruments herself. The lyrics tackle the pain of spiritual uncertainty with phrases that are self-aware and at times self-lacerating, an exorcism of private shame. I wish you'd hurt me, she sings on song in E. It's the mercy I can't take. In addition to her music, she's one of the all-time great interviewees. In conversation, she's insightful, warm, self-deprecating, and eminently fearless. These are the same traits that make her music so darn good. I'm so happy to welcome Julian Baker. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I'm, I'm so thrilled to speak to you. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me and taking the time to speak with me. It's, it's mutual. So many things I want to ask you, but I want to start with a question that's been imbued with a whole new level of meaning in the last year, and that's, how are you? How are you, how are you doing today? You know, today, I'm really good. Got my coffee, 
it was raining this morning, but the sun is coming out. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> trying to be happy about the little things. I don't know if, if there's one thing that this last year has taught me. It's like how to focus in on and recognize the things that actually do make me happy and what I can celebrate because it seems like there's been a deficit of things to celebrate or be happy about for a long time. Elements of clarity, I say, in the in, in not really having a lot of external distractions, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for so much of the last year, for all of us, it's been about accepting uncertainty into our lives and kind of allowing it to exist without completely crippling us, which in a way is a major through line through your new record, Little Oblivions, about accepting that uncertainty and sort of being okay with it. What's that process been like for you? Oh, man, it's... It's been difficult. I mean, I think it's taken a lot of work in my own personal life to accept that it's healthier to just sit with uncertainty or discomfort than to try to medicate or negate or assuage it with whatever behavior, you know, it could be anything, substances or like compulsive behaviors or just downright like suppression. And uh, yeah, I feel a lot more peaceful actually. And I think I was really apprehensive about this record for the reasons you mentioned, because it does kind of touch on, kind of touch on, no, it completely concerns in to- in totality <laughs> of the, the record is about trying to dismantle belief systems and value systems in your life and rebuild them from scratch. And I was really apprehensive about doing press around this record, but I found the more that I talk about it, the more clarity I actually have about what needed to be done in my own life. Yeah, sorry, my dog is um, crawling around under my desk, so if you hear the little, like, this noise it's just her tail <laughs> no not at all you, you and i you and i share something during I, for, for my entire life i have been completely apathetic to animals and in the last year a switch went off in me and i've become I, i'm desperate for a dog my apartment will let me have one i become one of those people that actually like sees them on the street and has and like you know elbows my girlfriend like oh my god look at that so no that's that is adorable easy i got a dog a little bit before quarantine and i don't know what i would have done without having a dog but also like yeah i was kind of the same way i wasn't ambivalent about animals but i was just like cool they're cute moving on yeah they're cute moving on yeah now it's like i cannot stop myself from acknowledging every dog i see if i see a (laughs) dog and we're driving i will interrupt any conversation to be like i got that dog (laughs) it's the same thing with my partner's like oh my god yeah we've seen like five dogs you don't have to point them all out to me but yeah i get you well, I'm glad we have that connection. I feel less alone now. <laughs> yeah. It's been such a, a, a transformative few years for you. And your relationship to a lot of, like, as you mentioned, crucial emotional and spiritual pillars have changed. Has your relationship to music changed at all? Yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe not necessarily that it's changed, but that, I don't know, it feels more like a returning. Like, it felt like there was something that I needed to uncover that had become convoluted about music for me because of being plunged into the world of being a performer with, you know, albeit a regular size, small one. Like, I, you know, I have uh, this platform and this like public awareness and like people are aware of my music and follow it. And while in the scheme of things, that recognition is only minuscule, it felt so huge to me and it happened very quickly. And music became something 
that I did with the desire to like positively impact the world and with an extreme amount of consideration for the impact that what I said or in my songs, you know, would have on a listener. Also, I think, you know, just because playing music became for the first time in my life my livelihood, I don't know, there's also a lot of like fear tied up in that and a risk aversion that comes with feeling that this is not only my creative outlet where I where I get to experiment and explore and uh, inquire into my own being, it's now what I do so that I can have a roof over my head and so that I can pay other people in my life so that they can live. And that's really like, that's a big shift to undergo. And then I think I just kind of glossed over it because touring, the inertia of touring is so constant that you're like being propelled into a new city and a new situation and a new performance space literally every day. So yeah, when I took some time off of the road I think it was like, I always say this, but it was like riding a bicycle slowly and everything just got kind of like off balance and wobbly and I had to stop doing what I was doing so I could analyze like why why am I making music in the first place and I think after having some time away from existing purely as a as a performer and, and doing music for an audience, I had the gift of perspective where I, I recognized that I was still writing songs even though I thought like maybe no one will hear them. I don't know if I'll make another record again. I don't know if I'll ever be able to tour again, but I'm still making songs because it's something integral to how I process my emotions and how I understand the world around me and myself. And I think, I've, I don't know, it's not, I don't want to say a renewed love for music. Like, I don't want to say that I've developed a renewed love for music as if I was ever jaded or disillusioned with it in the first place, because I've never wavered on, the things I've wavered on about music aren't, whether or not I love playing it, whether or not I'm going to pick up an instrument again, it's been like, do I think that I am capable of making music in the context of being a performer is my job. Yeah, so <laughs> now I think I'm just, I'm trying to do a better job of separating those things so that I can have a, a healthier relationship with music itself. And it must have been so great to step back and then choose to get back in, into music and to actually know, like, no, this is the thing. This this is actually something that, that I want to be involved with. And to know that you made that choice must must feel really, I don't know if empowering is the right word, but must really renew your faith in the music. Yeah, empowering is totally the right word. I don't know, and I think it had a lot to do also with the fact that, like, I collapsed myself with the identity of being a performer and then that was the sole focus of my life is like not performing as in like playing a part but performing as in hitting the right notes and wrapping your whole like self-worth up in that too yeah exactly and then when i realized that if you know, it was this kind of, it was a really painful experience for like, you know, me to go to a really unhealthy place and watch everything that I had thought, you know, that I had built up around my life that I guessed felt like being a successful musician, you know, watching all that kind of like go away and going back to school and thinking about maybe doing something else for a living for a while, like that was helpful for me to understand like I can make music without putting so much pressure on myself as this entity in public space that also has to perform. I can just make music because I believe that the things that human beings create seeking understanding are the artworks they make are 
ultimately just a piece of communication and that's fine you can't put that on a hierarchical scale of like good music and bad music but i mean you know <laughs> i believe that i'm not sure if like hundreds of music publications believe that but <laughs> you know I should have said this earlier. The album is absolutely incredible. In addition to so many other adjectives, it's just such a fearless record. The vulnerability and the honesty is just so admirable and just really inspiring. I mean, I, I, I hope that that's something that you feel. Yeah, no, I, I mean, releasing this record, I was, you know, I already said I, w I was pretty apprehensive about it, but in some ways it's been quite liberating to put something out that felt... I don't know, it felt like a departure from my old music for me, but then in the grand scheme of things, it's like, no, it really just, it still sounds like my songwriting. It's just like, now there's drums. But it did feel very, I think maybe what was more meaningful to me was the lyrical content being so explicit in a way where it was like, I don't know, trying to dismantle publicly the ideas that maybe people who listen to my music had had about me and trying to unsaddle myself with the identity of being a person who practices sobriety perfectly, a person who practices kindness perfectly, a person who's like in any way like well put together and it's like to expose those things felt almost relieving to me. You know. There was a, a great quote you gave, and I, and I hate reading quotes back because that always sounds like something a prosecutor does. But there's an amazing quote that really stuck with me. He said, this record is about letting go of the prospect of ever being a fully good person. And I, 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 a part of me smiled at that because I thought, cool, join the club. Like That's an incredibly high bar to, to set for oneself. And to, to kind of let yourself off the hook has got to be liberating as a human and certainly as an artist. Yeah, and I think it also like it enables me to focus more like when you say like letting yourself off the hook it is kind of like that and i think that's it's kind of a double-edged sword of a revelation because i think there was a period in my life especially like throughout the writing of this record when i was really <laughs> in the trenches of like figuring out sobriety again and figuring out faith again like there was this point i think where i felt the most nihilistic manifestation of that like i was letting go of the fact that i was constantly concerned with like how the things i were doing were not enough or they were not good enough or I could be a better person and constantly evaluating all of my actions in this way that was really like defeatist because there was always going to be some way that I had fallen short of my values and then when I realized like well I'm just a human and nobody's perfect I think I, w I went through this phase of just like well then why don't I just do whatever I want because I'm like you know and I, I feel like that's common to people when they have an existential crisis or a crisis of faith it's just like well well, if the rules are made up and subjective, then... How about I just feel good? How about I just feel... Well, yeah, and then you find out that so many of the things... I'm trying to explain this articulately, so forgive me, but... You're more articulate than I will ever be, by the way, so I just... Please. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying really hard. So, like, now, it's not so much as me letting myself off the hook, it's just, like, practicing compassion for myself that allows me in many ways to be more compassionate to other people too. But I think what I had to learn with all of the things that I was convicted about is that like, I think I had an ideological belief that, I don't know, being sober, being straight edged or being a vegan or praying <laughs> every morning was like this thing that I did to like purify and perfect myself. And now it's more like 
I don't want to spend my life with a crippling addiction because it actually doesn't feel good. Like, sure, it feels good sometimes, and then most of the time, it just makes you sick and full of regret and unable to do the things you want to do in your life. And so it's like, instead of coming to these decisions about the way I live my life from a point of, like, well, it's the good thing to do, it's the better thing to do to be sober. It's like, I now know that it makes me feel better. It improves my quality of life, and I can, like, make decisions about how to better be in the world that pertain to, like, my happiness. <laughs> Which is something that I just didn't, you know, like, I, I just didn't include how a decision affects uh, my own happiness or health very much into my evaluation of what was morally right and wrong. Because a lot of my conceptualization about doing the right thing involved self-denial and sacrifice. And yeah, reframing it that way was really helpful for Sounds like in a lot of ways it was like your decision to go back to music. I am choosing this. This is what I was doing before, but now it's because I want to and not because I think I'm supposed to. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. One of my favorite tracks on the album, and I'm probably going to say this about six different songs because it's so hard to choose because it's such an amazing album, Relative Fiction, I mean, to my ears, sounded a lot like that battle between the sort of, I guess for lack of a better term, public life and, 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 and private life. It sounds like that was a really a, a beautiful way to, to illustrate what you, what you were just mentioning. Oh, totally. I, and I, that song, there's actually a, like a ripoff or like a slightly modified John Steinbeck quote. I remember I was talking to one of my friends about, I don't know, about how I was just feeling kind of directionless because for so long my life had been governed by a very specific set of principles. And when I started to question and really interrogate and change those principles, it made me feel kind of like pessimistic about ever knowing what the right thing is to do or being like a fully healed person and yeah my friend was just like there's this john john steinbeck quote it's like now that you're not perfect you can just be good and man i don't know it made it still i it gives me like a visceral emotional reaction to hear those words and like that's if you had to sum up like relative fiction in a sentence that's the song i mean that quote literally like is why i wrote song like thinking about that principle that's an incredible line yeah it's just you know trying to permit yourself to be imperfect so that you can get outside of the cycle of self-hatred which actually makes it harder to be a healthy kind person you know perfection's a moving target anyway (laughs) yeah sure exactly it's funny how how forgiveness is such a crucial tenet of you know of Christianity faith, but self forgiveness is the hardest thing in the yeah, world. Yeah, and I I wonder if people like the reason why I think forgiveness is so hard as a person who has unfortunately made a lot of hurtful mistakes and thinks a lot about the concept of forgiveness and if I will ever really feel a certainty of being forgiven by like my friends or whatever or by the world. I think what's so uncomfortable sometimes with people about forgiveness is that they mistake forgiveness for absolution, right? Like, so I think, and you know, this could change because emotions are emotions and feelings are feelings, but like if right now I feel like I'm at a place where I can look at this catalog of all the mistakes that I have made and the, I don't want to say the wrong things, but like the destructive things that I have done. And I can look them without excusing myself for them, but still... Showing compassion to yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I still have to hold myself accountable, just like, you know, if I forgive somebody else for something that they do, I still hold them accountable for their actions. And I think sometimes, like, accountability and forgiveness get a little muddied in people's brains and their, yeah. The work you do, I mean, it, it touches so many people, myself included. I just, I, I wanted to ask you about your writing process. I mean, is it like a daily practice for you? Like some people run, some people do do yoga or meditation, or is it something that you go to when, when you feel inspired and you sit down and, and, and go to work? I've been trying to think of how to describe it, but like, it seems like, especially lyric writing is an ongoing 
practice, like mm-hmm. just in my life, I find myself trying to let myself be sensitive to and aware of the poetic or symbolic or meaningful things that happen just in life or in conversation. And so it's like a lot of my writing process is just gleaning images from my life, just from what's happening around me and the conversations I'm having, gathering material and then trying to assemble them into a narrative, playing my instrument and trying to do not just practicing old songs, but like improvisational, just kind of fiddling is a daily practice for me. Just because, I don't know, I'm I, I know that I have an obsessive part of my personality and so I try to pick up my instrument and do like commit myself to either writing a song or practicing skills or learning something I didn't know about a guitar pedal I have every day because, you know, I want to keep learning and bettering myself. But songs come together in a much less structured way, you know. I don't like, I know there's some songwriters that are like, yeah, I write a song every day just as practice and I could never, I could never, it would be a dumb, bad song that I would have to cannibalize and Frankenstein back together as some other song. I read that um, that you wrote a thesis on synesthesia, which is something that I believe that you is something that's a part of your your writing process. Can you talk a little more about that? I'm not sure if I'm describing it right, but basically assigning I'm going to get this completely wrong, but assigning colors to sounds and vice versa. Yeah, what's really that's so cool. This is the most on brand thing for me to say is that I told one person in an interview that, and then. I started having this internal crisis of like, do I really experience, do I experience this phenomenon? Because in my thesis, one of the things, this is so like me to be like, is this actually true? Like, (laughs) is what I'm saying true? Can I verify it? It's a mental event. So like, no, I can't. Uh, But I don't want to sound like I'm just like making up stuff. But basically, in a part of the thesis that I did, it was about synesthesia, but it was also about how people there have been like linguists like linguistic analysts who like try to create a parallel like a formulaic parallel between the arrangement of music and like language and grammar and while i do believe that music is a communication method i think what's special about it is that in its purest form it and especially how i experience it it can transcend language like so of course like i'm talking about non-lyrical music specifically i'm talking about like sounds not about the poetry that i lay on top of the sounds that i create but there was this entire portion of my thesis where i was studying like the research methods of synesthesia because just like anything it's happening inside the mind so like anything psychological is happening inside the mind so there's like virtually no way to recreate or explain another person's experience except for them telling you and so there's all these fields like to like verify that a person is having a synesthetic experience versus because i feel like i could just play like i don't know a sad piano song for somebody on the street and i would be like what color is this song and they would probably be like blue because blue is a color we associate with sadness and mournfulness. Or maybe I play them a disco track and they're like yellow, because yellow is a color we associate with happiness. But yeah, I'm decently confident that that is not what's happening with me, that it's not just like a collection of like cultural associations between color and sound. It's like, man, I don't know. I was listening to it. What song was I listening to the other day? I was like, the song's orange. I don't know how to tell you why. The song's just orange. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like music, especially instrumental music, puts me in a very like meditative place and I experience it in my body in a very 
vivid way. So yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's there's almost this tactile, there's like texture to sound. And especially during quarantine and you know, we were just talking mm. about my the shift in my relationship to music. It's like I have been, you know, past when I thought I was going to return to touring after taking some time off. It's now been an additional year of being at home and not really being in a performance space and playing my instrument every day, practicing piano or even like trying to teach myself more production stuff and like how to use compression and distortion and EQ things like that's all a very visual experience to me like I I don't know how to describe it it's so difficult it makes total sense to me sound waves and light is waves too it just all it seems like it's all about just perceiving and and, and letting it come to you I guess I don't know I read this book called Born on a Blue Day about this guy who memorized, he like at one time held the world record for memorizing the most numbers of pi. There was this passage, I remember reading it when I was like 11. I don't know, I just used to pick up whatever book in Barnes and Noble and be like, sure, I'll read this. So I picked up this memoir knowing nothing about it and I was like 11 or 12. And there's this part where he's describing how he's reciting the numbers of pi and then it all kind of like blends into a landscape. I don't know, imagine like a video game moving or like a note reel as you're moving through. Yeah. But then it's like, what's happening? I was going to be like, imagine if Windows Visualizer was just happening in your head all the time. Do you remember that? Yeah, I forgot about that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that for like hours. Like I would just download stuff off iTunes and then sit there with Windows Visualizer open. Uh, I used to do that all the time. I used to put like pet sounds on or something and just like, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting for me is like, I would always feel like this level of disconnect with, because I didn't have any agency over the images, but I've like, it happens especially when I play piano, where if I just like find myself in a key or in a mode that I'm super comfortable in and I get into the like flow state of intuitive playing past the really like calculated aware part it's like yeah i don't know it's like watching a landscape go by from a train when just like watching sound change it's really beautiful <laughs> i wish i could explain it better but yeah i probably sound like a crazy person i'm not like literally hallucinating no, you explained when I play it perfectly. my no. mind's eye <laughs> i'm not just like yeah at the end of this i'm just like and there's acid involved <laughs> That was a joke. That was a joke. Yeah, ayahuasca helps. Yeah. Yeah, the the ayahuasca really helps uh, me get in the synesthesia zone. No, I'm t I'm terrified to ever. I've my brand of uh, substance abuse is always the numbing and the dampening things that kind of like restrict feeling and emotion. I'm terrified of. I could never let go. Dude, I know it's so crazy. I'm like, it's already no. dark enough in there as it is. I don't want to like explore. <laughs> Like, I don't want to expand the darkness. I just like, nah, I'm good. I'm good with where I'm at right now. It's all I can do. God, that's so, I mean, that's why I, I love Song and E because t to me, I, that sentiment really resonated with me because it was like wishing that anxiety or pain could be on something on the outside because I feel like I'm happiest when there's a problem that I can point to and, and solve because as soon as that's out, it's like, oh man, it's just me. <laughs> oh man. Oh, it turns out that it's really just my brain. Yeah, like, it's difficult. And, you know, that song is like, it's about being in a relationship that is difficult and how it's almost more painful to deal with hurt or try to find a place for it when the two 
parties or however many parties are involved in your family or your love affair or your whatever. It's almost more painful when you understand that those two parties aren't deliberately hurting each other. Like, it's almost more painful because then there's nowhere to put anger. You know what I mean? Like, and you feel guilty about it, too. Then you're angry and guilty. You feel guilty about resent resenting a person that is not hurting you on purpose. And then there's also, like, this moral hierarchy of, like, who is giving and receiving forgiveness that can get really uncomfortable. And, yeah, that song is me just being, like, in the pettiest way to explain it. It's, like when you are angry at somebody and then they're nice to you and you're like would you just have the decency to be mean to me so we can both just be shitty like why don't you i want a reason to be shitty to you yeah and you're not giving me one but i mean i get that's that's a funny way to describe it but then it's yeah. also like i don't know it's ex it's it's challenging to see the limits to your own kindness and like in another sense too it's like i wrote that song at a time where i was like i just wish that everybody would go ahead and accept that i'm not good so that i can stop having this expectation hovering around me for me to be better you know what i mean there is a responsibility that comes with patience and forgiveness and when your friends don't alienate you and they won't and they continue giving you mercy and graciousness that then it's like there's the obligation to show up for that relationship still and when you feel like getting better or being emotionally available or even just a, mentally stable is not something possible for you in the near future like i did it's sad for your friends to keep forgiving you because it's like you know you do the same for them i'm sure oh no totally but it's like it's it's so much different i think and there's a lot of like shame wound up in that you know there's a lot of shame in the feeling of wanting to get better knowing almost certainly you're gonna fail a bunch of more times before you're better and wishing that instead of sticking around and being a witness to self-destruction and pain and uh, causing themselves pain that your friends would just go away like i don't know that sounds very like i was imagining myself as like quasimodo like hiding in a cave but like that's how it gets that's how it gets when you feel like you're so deep down into something that you even you can't control it and you don't see a way out yeah i don't know i guess i'm just gonna go chain myself to a wall because i'm gonna do something destructive and i wish you wouldn't come keep trying to hang out with me because i know for a fact i'm gonna hurt you and it hurts me to hurt you but i also can't stop this like cycle of self-destruction i'm in yeah, sorry, we were laughing a minute ago, and then I ruined it all. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. In the same way that I was, I was thanking you for your lyrics, I thank you for trusting me right now for, for going to this place. And I, my question is, and maybe it doesn't totally relate, but you know, I, I think that, that anyone with a creative impulse puts what they make out there with the, the hope on some level of getting some kind of response to it. With that in mind, what is the best thing that a fan could say to you? What, what would you hope that, that they would say? Not somebody who, you know, is looking to you to set an example or anything like that, but just somebody who really loves what you do. Like, what would you love for them to say that would make it feel worth it? There's, there's a really emotional answer and then like a silly answer. I'm going to give you the silly answer first. I was jogging the other day and I jogged by this guy and without stopping, he just goes, love your music. And then just kept jogging. And I was like, that's the perfect, that's the perfect interaction. You know what I mean? Hey, your music helped me not kill myself. And then I'm just like, wow, I feel like that's not what my music did. That's probably something you did for yourself, but (laughs) it's cool for you to tell me that. Just like, you know, that happens to me rarely, but stuff like that does happen. And sometimes I'm just like, ah, honestly, the majority of people that I meet at shows, and it's been a while since I've been like out at the merch table, like talking to people after shows, but the majority of people that I meet are really genuine. They're just like, hey, your music means a lot. You know, it's usually after a show. So it's like people that had a previous awareness of like who I was because they bought tickets to this gig. And I don't know, like every once in a while, somebody will just be like, hey, like your music means a lot to me. I grew up in church. I struggled with addiction or whatever. And I feel like just those are the kinds of things that put me more at ease with sharing the parts of myself, especially on this record, that I'm uncomfortable with because... 
the reward for me for being honest for making as true a testament as I'm capable of making to my lived human experience uh, the, the reward for that is having somebody feel understood I think you know I, I said this earlier but like fundamentally I think music is a communication tool it sure it's entertaining or whatever and you know you it's couched in a consumerist realm because that's how we listen to music and buy it or subscribe to spotify or whatever but when you dial music back especially when you think about like the function of music in civilizations like throughout history it's a communication yeah. tool it's something that's transmitting information like i don't know people used to sing songs because the sung voice goes farther than the spoken voice and like it hurts you to scream so singing mm. is like a means to an end of communicating with people beautifully and seeking mutual understanding and if i can ever ever establish mutual understanding between or the feeling of understanding with a person between myself or my songs and them or between them and another person who likes my music then that is the most valuable thing i think i can ever accomplish with my music that's the most beautiful articulate response i could have ever imagined to that question thank you for that that's and, and you're right i mean the, the the mystery of music is something that's just so fascinating to me because i mean you, you find primitive instruments in it from periods of history when we were just struggling to eat you know i mean this was something that was obviously a priority it, it wasn't something that was just a luxury this was something that that we needed and that's so interesting to me yeah Totally. I mean, and that's why I think I've been thinking about this a lot with this record because I have a lot of after, you know, it's like we were talking earlier about, you know, being a performer and being so obsessed with the perfectionist element of not only like hitting all the right notes and delivering an immaculate performance, but also like saying the the right and true thing. It's like understanding that music is woven into the fabric of humanity helps me remove the fear of ridicule or dislike of my music. I've always, I mean, it's like, I've never in my life been like, yeah, probably everybody's gonna like my music. No, people don't, like tons of people don't like my music. That's fine. If I, if I weren't fine with that, I could not have been a professional musician for more than a day. But like, I think sometimes I, just like everybody, I am sensitive to judgment and I wanna offer the best that I can into this world. But what makes music, and this is why my friends make fun of me because it's like I'll find a way to like pretty much everything even if it's like bad. They don't like it. I'm like, I don't know, it's like I'm the opposite of the devil's advocate always trying to be like, there's a good thing in here. But um, yeah, like music is valuable because it fulfills the need to create music, to communicate music. Music is valuable because it is something that another person has issued into this world to contribute to the giant human discourse that is always taking place through art. It's not valuable because it's better or worse than, or because it's more or less a work of musical genius. You know, like, I don't know. That's why I value music in the first place. And so I've gotten a lot less precious with people, you know, my music and people's opinions of my music because I just... I don't know. I love it so much. It sounds really corny to just be like, I love music. Music is my life. Uh, it's like a Hot Topic t-shirt, but it's true. It's true. I love music so much. It's not corny if it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it can, Or rather, it can be corny and true. 
Both and, not either or, my friend. <laughs> it can be corny and true. My music is corny as hell. I what? have some. I Disagree. Have some, I have some really corny lines. I'll admit, it, it's not always corny, but it can get a little schmaltzy. And it's like, okay, yeah, corny stuff is true. Trite things are, are cliches. Cliches are cliches for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciate <laughs> so much people who are willing to draw upon the the material of folk tradition and are willing to say things that have already been said because it's worth saying them again. There's so many artists like that are just making songs that I guess you could call they could either be derivative or they could be an homage to a style or they could be, you know, when you play like a folk standard or a jazz standard, you're trying to be true to the style or when you write a blues song, the lyrical content often takes on like a very specific style right so like yeah. it's fine it's just like it's just i i just said music wasn't like language but it is really like a dialect or like an idiolect wow i could talk about this for a real i be careful because i wrote eight thousand words about this for just my advisor can you send me the pdf i mean Dude, i love this i don't what bro okay look I remember I was like, I sent him like a 7,500 word draft and I was like, Dr. Kate's like, I don't know if I'm on the right track. Like, I don't know. This was an independent study. It could, he was literally like right ah. about, he was like right about whatever. And then I wrote 8,000 words of like meticulously researched, but also somehow like really harebrained, um, chaotic, uh, theories about music and language. And I just remember sending him this like long, a PDF and him getting an email back that said don't make it too hard on yourself sent from my iPhone and I was no. just like bro like, oh, knife no. in your heart oh. no it wasn't even knife in my heart it was like so funny because this guy is just like opening up a frantic student's email on his iPhone <laughs> and being like please stop uh. worrying about it please stop don't put yourself through this meanwhile I'm like crouched over microfilm or whatever I'm just kidding it, it's 2021 I don't use microfilm but um, it was a funnier image if I was like Anyway, I'll see Beautiful mind style. Yeah, beautiful mind style. There's like... Like strings and stuff. Yeah, I was about to say yarn up on the... <laughs> it get... Yeah, I don't know. I'll... um If you... Maybe I'll make the PDF like free somewhere. So if you anybody... You totally should. Dude, so... But yeah. it's super incoherent. I can't even describe... It's dumb. It's like House of Leaves, but my brain <laughs> about music. <laughs> That's so cool though. Oh, come on. All right, maybe, maybe. I'll, I'll edit it down a little bit more. I'll get one of my um, grad student friends to polish it up a little bit. Preparing to talk to you, I read probably a couple dozen interviews that you give it, and the care that you give to all your responses is just so apparent in, in all of your interviews. I just want to thank you for that. It's so, it's so appreciated. I mean, have you ever learned something about yourself reading any of these profiles back? Like, have seeing other people's impressions actually been helpful for you? I would say yes. I wish I weren't because this is about to make me sound so narcissistic. And you know what? Maybe it is. Maybe there is an element of the human mind that is just predisposed towards narcissism because we're the only consciousness in our head, right? So yeah. like it's just us all day That's long all we know. thinking about the protagonist, being the protagonist of our own life. I read like every single one back to myself because... And I, I, it's a huge compliment for you to tell me that I, that it comes across as if I'm like very caring, um, yes, very attentive with my work.
words because that's what i mean there's a limit to how much any human can understand another human being right limit to the empathy yeah a li- well a limit to the empathy but also just like i can't take what's in my brain and put it in your brain and have you understand it like a thumb drive yeah yeah exactly there's no i can't vulcan mind meld you <laughs> to understand yeah but so like i do think it is a really worthy goal for me to try to make communication as clear as possible especially like one of the reasons why i did i keep coming back to this dumb thesis but like one of the reasons why i chose to do study of movement is because music is so much of a refuge from language to me when you think about the idea that whenever you're going into a discussion or a paper or like a seminar you need to define the terms that you're using but like we live in a world where because of this like accelerated because of the way that changes in language are accelerated through like social media or through our constant availability and communication there's virtually no way to be sure that you are defining the terms correctly Mm. or that somebody is interpreting what you mean and all the different like connotations and subtexts of your word choice the exact word is harder to find dude yeah it's like some flaubert stuff like let's yes. soul my juice i i don't think that's somebody in french class is going to be like that was horrible but yeah that's why it's important to me to find like the best way to say a thing because understanding is like the most fundamental human need like to be understood and man when you ask me like have i ever learned anything about myself from reading interviews back or listening to podcasts back or something yeah i've learned i'm super neurotic like every time every time i read back you get something more positive than that no i'm just i I, well in that you know i said that humorously but what i've learned is that like i do this with so many things too i like make it way more complicated than it has to be like sometimes i feel like me being hyper aware and concerned with expressing myself clearly in language actually makes it harder to have a conversation for like for me and also for the other person because they have to sit through me giving like a 10 minute preamble to every question i answer it's like gotta be exhausting well after that beautiful discussion of communication and language i'm gonna (laughs) end with a kind of poorly phrased question which is what is next for you? What, what do you have? You've got this, this amazing record out. Hopefully we'll be able to get on the road and, and hear you play it live soon. But, but what do you work on next? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to going back on the road. And I, you know, it's this kind of like grass is always greener thing with musicians because it's so easy. It's like the national pastime of touring to complain about tour. <laughs> right like all you ever do i'm still in a group chat i have not played a show in like almost two years and i'm still in a group chat with the people i was touring with two years ago being like remember hummus like i don't know it's so but i i I do miss it and i miss because music is so communication based to me i miss the physical act of exchange that happens in a live show like tonight i think actually is like when the album release stream happens um and i was so grateful to play with my friends and my my sweet boys matt and cal and uh noah but it felt a little sterile and so i'm just i'm i'm excited to be back in the land of 
touring and I'm excited to see shows again. Like honestly, every body in, in, in interviews and like talking to other musicians, the question is always like, oh, I can't wait to play a show. But honestly, dude, like right before quarantine happened, when I had taken a whole bunch of time off and I wasn't touring, I wasn't performing, I wasn't rehearsing for anything, doing any interviews, I would go to like three shows a week. I would wow. just go see bands like by myself. And I had, I used to never do that, but then I realized it's such a freaking power move to just stand there with just you. Just I you know, and I just went because I wanted to put some music in front of my face and I wanted to be taken somewhere else and I wanted to be on the receiving end and be like, you know, to use a churchy term, like fed by mm. that. So I straight up just can't wait until there are shows again. I'm gonna go see like every band. It's gonna be great. And I'll, you know, I'll spend all my money on tickets and yeah, but bring it on. Julian, thank you so much. I guess there's only one thing I have left to say and I want you to pretend I'm jogging right now. Love you music. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for a wonderful conversation. It was actually enjoyable. That's the best thing I can hear. I appreciate it. No, seriously. Oh. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside the Studio, a production of iHeartRadio. For more episodes of Inside the Studio or other fantastic shows, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. You know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.